Okay, good evening. That took a little bit of extra time. But uh, glad you could all make it out, bearing the weather and all that stuff. So tonight we're going to be in Ephesians 6. So let's open your Bible or grab one from underneath the chair or take out your phone even. Go to Ephesians 6. And the majority of our time will be spent in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. Starting in verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we take a look at this text, Lord, I just pray that it would be clear to us what you are trying to speak to us through this passage you have, and I just pray that uh, the message would be clear, Lord, and that we would be able to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 10, it starts with, finally, so we kind of need to have a concept of what Ephesians is, of what the book of Ephesians is saying from the get-go. So Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about how we are to live, or the basis of our faith, and then how we're supposed to live out that faith. And then it talks about going into the armor of God and all that. But it talks first about Christ as our Redeemer. It talks about praying for spiritual wisdom, making sure that our basis of that is in Christ Jesus alone. It talks about grace through faith, how we can't earn our salvation, how it comes by grace alone through Jesus Christ. And then it talks about how Christ is our peace and how we can have... uh, perfect peace through him. Also about our cornerstone, how we can lean on him for anything that we, that we need faith-wise, that we need it on a spiritual level. And it also talks about the mystery, how he's not just a savior for the uh, Jewish people, but he's a savior for each and, every, each and every human being that was ever born on this planet. And then it, and then it goes into chapter 4 about um, walking, how we are to walk in unity. It also talks about walking in love and walking in light and walking in wisdom. And then it talks about our, our relationships we're ha- to have with one another. And it's kind of a, went, went through it kind of quickly, but if we have this firm foundation in our faith, if we first trust in Christ as our Savior and then we take steps to become more like him, we have a walk that is pleasing to him, then he Paul realizes as he's writing that it's not going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of adversity and the devil is going to want to try to come in and do anything he can to make you ineffective, which is why he talks about the armor of God, which is why he starts off with finally, because we need to have our defenses up. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So just talking about it's not our power it's not our power how we can live for him. It's his power that we need to lean on and to depend on. 
Then it goes into verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So this this term put on, it talk, it's, it's the idea of something permanent. Like you're not going to, you're not going to, it's not something that you put on and take off and you, it's not, a, it's not a thing where you're, you have a choice. It's whether it's, you want, you want the, you want the armor of God on you at all times. And this is a good thing because whether we're out in public, we're with our friends, we're with our family, we're all alone. There's lots of circumstances in life and we want to have the armor of God with us at all, all, all times because you never know when something might creep up, might come in and try to tempt you with something and lead you astray. So it's a great thing that it's an idea of permanence that we want to have it on, on us at all times. And Satan always is looking for this, this chink in our armor kind of deal where he's like, he's looking for a weakness for us. He knows our weaknesses and he's aware of them, but he's just looking for one moment for us to slip up and, you know, relax and take it easy, which it's good to take it easy, but we all always need to be on guard for when something might pop up and get us. And then it talks about uh, the the wiles of the devil. I think it's funny because Whenever I think of the word wiles, I think of wily coyote and how he's not wily at all and how he always tries to blow up the roadrunner or crush, put him under a rock or something. It always turns up, but he always gets crushed by the rock, you know. How his name is very ironic because he is the opposite of what his name is all about. But the devil is not like that. Satan is not like that at all. He's a schemer and he knows all the all the ways to get us to slip up he's very he's very wily and he's looking to exploit our weaknesses and he's very effective in doing so unlike wily coyote um jesus jesus himself calls him the ruler the ruler of this world he talks about that in john john chapter 12 um, he, another familiar one, he is the prince of the power of the air. talks about that earlier in Ephesians in chapter 2. And it also says he's a roaring lion, and he, just want, and he wants to devour us. It talks about that in 1 Peter 5. So it is his goal to destroy us. Although we don't, it talks about salvation later on, about the helmet of salvation. But we don't lose our salvation, but the goal for him the goal for Satan is to make us so that we're ineffective, so God can't use us, so that we can't be vessels to serve and honor him. So as a believer, we have a choice. We can either live for Jesus, put on the, whole, put on the armor of God, or we can live for the world and do what, ultimately what Satan wants us to do, even though we don't, might not even know we're doing it. So in verse 12, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So this is just reminding us that it's a spiritual battle we're in. We're not wrestling against other human beings. We're wrestling against powers that are much more powerful than what we think, what we what we encounter on a daily basis with humans, we think so and so is big and strong. I saw a picture. We were at 
UWS ref in basketball the other day, and we were just looking at the pictures in the uh, trophy case, and there was one picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that's a big dude. And he can, he can do a lot of damage, but he's not more powerful than the spiritual um, encounters that we experience, on, that we come into contact with on a daily basis. And we're not only, we always, we always talk about how, like in Sunday school, we're talk, we talk a lot about how other religions are wrong and this and that, but our battle is not with them. Our, our goal for that is to show them what, what the real truth is and to ultimately have them come to Christ. So our, we, want, we want them to come to our side. We're not totally against them. We want, we want them to join the army of Christ. So our battle is more spiritual than it is physical. Then in verse 13, it says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So whenever it talks about the armor of God, it talks about the whole armor of God. And there are different pieces to it. I think there's six ones, six pieces that we'll cover, but it never talks about having one piece separate from another piece. It always talks about having the whole armor of God, having it all together at one time, how one piece isn't necessarily more important of, more important than the other. We always have to keep that in mind that it all comes as a package deal and that we need to pay attention to all pieces and not just one particular piece. And then it says uh, in 13, to be able to withstand the evil day. So, when it says evil day, it's talking about the time we're living in right now. It says in Ephesians 5.16, might be on the same page, the days are evil. The days that we're living in right now are evil. And putting on the, whole, putting on the armor of God means that we can be, a, be an effective tool for God to use and ultimately for his glory so we're living in evil times. It seems like everything's kind of st- piling against us that we have Satan who's who runs kind of runs the show down here right now. It seems like that we're living in evil days, it's sinful times, things are getting worse and worse and worse. But we have this but we have um God's word to stand on, all the, the sword of salvation which we'll talk about, and we have all these tools God God uses to help us combat all these all this evil that is all throughout the world, and it t- and it talks about standing. So, and at the end of at the end of verse thirteen, having done all to stand. So, he wants us he wants us to stand stand for Christ. You always hear that um, that quote: "If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything." And it's kind of a vague thing. Like, what is that supposed to mean? But when you apply it to biblical principles, if you don't stand for Christ, you're going to fall for anything that the devil plots against you. It's you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to stand on anything if you don't stand for Christ. You're going to fall. You're going to fall pretty quick. So we need to take a stand for Christ. And a great example of standing for Christ is in, is in Daniel three. So let's turn to Daniel. Chapter 3. It's a pretty popular story. It's um, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's funny because these are the names that were given to them when they when they were under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. So Shadrach means they they were all given names that more 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 or less uplifted the gods of that area, gods that weren't the one true god. So Shadrach means command of Aku, while his original name was Hananiah, which means the Lord is gracious. And Meshach means who is like Aku is, while his original name is Mishael, I believe it's pronounced, Mishael. It says, who is like the Lord? And we know no one's like the Lord. And then the last one, Abednego, it uh, is translated servant of Nego, which is another god of that time. And then his original name was Azariah, which means the Lord is my helper. So we'll see in Daniel 3 how they, they really live up to the, their names that they were originally given from the start. How the Lord is gracious, there is none like the Lord, and he is their helper. So I will start reading in verse 8 of Daniel 3. It says, therefore, oh, I suppose I should give a little background. So Nebuchadnezzar, he built an idol of him or for himself so that people would uh, praise and honor him instead of the one true God, even though in the passage previously he talks about how there is, there is not our Daniel, Daniel answered or um, was able to explain his dream to Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him. And so he's aware, he's aware of the God of Daniel and the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he decides to raise this image of gold to himself. And it's, it's a big, tall statue. It's like 90 feet tall or something like that. A big one. And he says, whenever the Whenever the music plays, everybody is supposed to bow down to this idol of, of me. And so there gets word out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't doing what the king had uh, decreed. So it says in verse 8, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psalmetry, psalmetry, psaltery, in uh, symphony with all kings of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted by King Nebuchadnezzar in the first place. And lo and behold, the other guys, well, I don't know what their uh, motive was, but they decided to rat them out, say that they're not bowing down to King Nebuchadnezzar and his uh, image of gold to himself. So it would have been... I don't remember where I first heard this, but it would have been pretty easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to pretend like they had or like they were bowing down, whether it's all my 
sandals untied, I need to tie it quick. Oh, this music's playing. Oh, what do you know? Or, I don't know, a mosquito bite or something like that. I don't know if they had mosquitoes there. But they could have come up with many excuses, but they decided to, to stand, which is what it talks about in Ephesians 6. They, needed to, they took a stand for Christ. And then it says in verse six, verses 16 through 18, after King Nebuchadnezzar gave them another chance to say, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you don't want to bow down to me? And they say, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So they make it very clear where they stand, and they don't, they don't waver on that. They stay firm on that. And then it goes, in, it goes into how the king was raged and how he fired up that furnace. It was seven times hotter than it usually is. And it says in verse 22 that the flame of the fire killed the men who put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire in the first place. So we're talking mighty powerful. And then it talks about how they see not just three men in the, in the fire, but they see four men in the fire and that the fourth is like the Son of God. So they know that, or we, we know that Jesus was with them through this whole thing, that God was on their side. And so they see this. I'd be a little spooked if I saw this. Like, oh, they're still standing up in there. What's going on? It's, it, se- it seemed, it's, it's miraculous is what it was. Then in verse uh, 27, it says, And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. So they pulled them out of the fire. And then the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. If you stand by a fire for like 20 seconds, you're, you're already smelling like a fire. And they were, they were in the midst of a, an inferno almost, and they were, they, they were just fine. Not even a hair on their head was singed at all. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent this angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made in ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. So when we take a stand for Christ, we don't know who it may be affecting, but people are going to take notice. In this case, it was a big, a big, big deal. And this is probably one of the hardest situations in which to take a stand because they knew the consequences of what would happen if they, had to, if they took a stand for Christ, but they did not waver from that. So let's turn back to... Ephesians 6 and get into how we are to stand the tools that God gives us. It says in verse 14, once again, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So first first it talks about girding your waist with truth. Um, So this is basically talking about a belt. So the belt for a 
uh, warrior was had several purposes. Once, number one, it tied up any loose ends that it has, like a shirt. If you don't have a belt on, your shirt's going to come untucked and it's going to be a hindrance to you. You don't want any hindrances in battle. Number two, it uh, holds the whole armor together. If you are, if you have a belt that doesn't quite quite fit right, or that is off a little bit, it's going to cause the whole armor to be off, and you're not going to be able to fight with it comfortably. And number three, it helps hold uh, equipment, whether it's swords or anything that you may pick up on the battlefield. So the belt is the belt is really important, just as truth is really important in our life. And once again, we were talking the other day in Sunday school about truth. It wasn't this week, it was last week, and how truth is more more black and white than it is gray. There really isn't any gray when it comes to truth. It's either truth or it's not truth. There's, there's either one or the other. So the thing about Satan is he's going to try to trick us with telling partial truths. He's not going to go all the way in anything. He's not going to make anything really, really obvious, like, yep, that's wrong. Yep, that's right. I know which way I'm going. He's going to make something. He's going to try to get you to waver a little bit. It's not going to be a full-fledged jump into the pool right away. But he's going to try to get you to slip up a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And before you know it, you're way off in left field and you don't even know where you are. How did I, how did I get here sort of thing. So he's going to try to trick you with partial truths. And we all know a partial truth. It's either black or white, which a partial truth is a lie. And he's been doing it since the beginning of time, since since uh, the Garden of Eden with Eve when he said, you will, you will not surely die. It's, it doesn't talk, it, it, or he just talks about our partial truth. They're not, she's not going to die right there, but over time she's going to die. But he leaves that, he leaves that detail out of there. So, it's more he's more of a partial truth. He knows how to he knows how to get you get you off on the right on the wrong path, excuse me. And then it talks about the breast breastplate of righteousness in the second half of the verse. And so the breast the breastplate is we all know is for protection of the torso and in the torso lies all the important vital organs, your heart, your lungs, everything important for you to be living. And so there's also no protection behind you. So that lets us know that when we're in battle, we're not going to be running the other way. We don't plan on retreating. We plan on staying at the battle and fighting. So we talked about righteousness. Pastor talked about righteousness this morning. And it's all about, and he said it's about doing right. And there's a lot of people all over are doing right all the time. And... It's not really it's not really our what we think right is it's what God thinks right is and because God is completely holy and pure and without sin that's what that's what matters what it what matters is what he thinks about what our actions are he knows our true motives and so doing right in God's eyes requires that we have a right a right relationship with him that sin doesn't get in the way of our relationship with him and that we we are constantly striving for purity and holiness
And so verse 15, so we got the belt of truth, we got the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15 says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So this is talking about shoes. So shoes for a Roman soldier, which is what this this armor is uh, covering. They would often put nails in the soles of their feet or in the soles of their shoes so that they could grip the ground more easily, so that they could stand and defend their territory. And also, having shoes on means that you can travel or cover or be on a variety of surfaces on a, on a bunch of different pieces of terrain and not have to worry about what you step on because when you're on the battlefield I've never been there personally but when you're on the battlefield you're constantly looking at stuff that you might step on and even if we're if you got bare feet on say during the summertime and you're walking across some grass or something and you walk under a pine tree something as little as a tiny pine needle can trip you up and make you hurt. So having the right shoes is important in battle. But and it, and just like having the right pair of shoes, having the having the right uh right perspective on the gospel is also important. And it talks about the gospel of peace. So we're looking at the perfect peace of God not peace that we can find in this world that we can find of our own, but it's that uh, what it says in Philippians 4, the peace that passes all understanding. And he also, and with the gospel, he gives us uh, the ability to go wherever he wills, wills us to go wherever he calls us to go and preach the good news, to spread the gospel and to spread his word. So we're on to verse 16. It says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So we know what the, we know what the shield is all about. It's not, that, it's not that a tough one to figure out. It's really important to have a shield because without it, we wouldn't last too long in battle. We, would, we wouldn't be able to, to block anything. So just like we are kind of useless in battle without a shield. We, are, we can't really be used that much without a strong faith in Christ. And we can put our faith in a lot of different things, but it's really important to put our faith in one thing, in the most important thing, which is Jesus. And it's not, a, faith is not a really, we all know what, kind of have a basic premise of faith, but it's not a really wishy-washy thing. It says in Hebrews 11 that uh, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So our faith, when, when our faith is in Christ, it's based on something firm. It's based on something solid and resolute and something that lasts. And although we can't see all the things that we believe in, all the things that are based in our faith, we will someday. We'll be able to see the place that Jesus has prepared for us. We'll be able to see Jesus himself and we'll be able to be in the presence with him forever only through our salvation in him, which is what it talks about next in verse 17. It says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the helmet of salvation, so we know what a helmet's all about. 
a helmet's you put it on your head and it's really important because the head is often a a really targeted uh body part in battle and we need to make sure it's protected so the the helmet is a really important piece to the armor and just like the helmet's important our salvation is also important because it's where our relationship with Jesus Christ begins and Satan will even try to attack this. He'll be even like, are you really saved? Are you really saved? He'll try to put that seed of doubt in your mind. But we know that we are assured of our salvation. We know that we will spend, once we are saved, we are saved for eternity, that we will spend eternity with, in heaven with Christ. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians one twenty-two. This is just a, just a couple books over, but it's a great reminder that we are assured of our salvation. Second Corinthians chapter one verse twenty-two says, "Let's start in verse twenty-one." Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the idea of us being sealed is having that wax that, say, a king puts on a a scroll or a a letter, and then puts his uh, insignia on it. And so we are, we are sealed in Christ. He, we, we are owned by him, he, or he is our Savior. And he also gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, where it's like, no matter what, we are assured of our salvation, we are assured of our destination. So that is just, that is just a great promise there. And it's cool, because the helmet of salvation, and also the breastplate of righteousness. They're mentioned multiple times in Scripture. It talks about how when God is to redeem his people in Isaiah 59, it says that he puts on the breastplate of righteousness. He puts on the helmet of salvation. And Paul really, Paul really likes this. He talks about it here. He talks about it in 1 Thessalonians 5 as well, how he references the salvation and righteousness. And lastly, the sword of the Spirit. So the sword is the only weapon that, that is, really, is talked about here. It can be used as a defensive tool. It can be used as an offensive tool as well. And I remember Pastor Joe, when he preached, he talked about two different kinds of swords. I don't remember what, or what the words he used for each one. But this one is talking about the one that's a little bit smaller, the one for hand-to-hand combat, not the longer one for when you're on when you're on horseback, but this is talking about something that can be really easily easily handled, easily wielded. And let's turn to Matthew four because it talk it's it's cool because the word of God is really all that we need to to handle any attacks or schemes that the devil has coming our way. And this is a perfect example because it's Jesus. So this is when he's being tempted by Satan. And we're just going to look at the verses that, uh, that, he, uh, that he talks in because it's really cool what he says. So when he's tempted by Satan, look what he says in verse 4. But Jesus answered and said, 
is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then again in verse 7, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Then in verse 10, then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. It's cool that every time that he speaks, it says, it is, he says, it is written. So it's written from before, it's written in God's word, all that we all that we need is God's word to combat anything that anything people might say to uh, put down our faith. We can we can come back with the word of God and saying this is this is what God's word says. This is not this is not my reasoning or logic. This is what um, the God of the universe has to say about it, which is really awesome. It says it says our our. The word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So one, one last example of putting on the armor of God is David. And we all know the story of David and Goliath, but let's just look at a couple verses in 1 Samuel 17. So we know about, we know about Goliath, the giant, and how he came... He's a Philistine, and he came to every day challenge the Israelites and how they would stay in their tents very afraid of him, very just cowering and afraid. And it says that David comes to give his brothers food, and he says what's going on here. And all the, all the soldiers are like, oh, that's Goliath, he's... He's their, he's their champion, and we're, and we're too scared to fight him. But David's like, who should defy the armies of the living God? He knows that if they, if they beat them, or if they fight Goliath, and it's, and it's in God's will, they're, they're going to have the victory. So it says in verses, for 1 Samuel 17, verses 37 to 39, Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So David's a shepherd, and he's been able to fight, fight off all these uh, big animals in the past. So he, and it's only through Christ that he does it. He realizes that. He knows he will be able to defeat the Philistine too. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword on it, onto his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. I think it's so cool how even though David went, went to fight Goliath without any armor on, he was still victorious against him. And that really goes to show the spiritual armor, the whole armor of God, which is what David obviously had on, because without it, he wouldn't have been able to do anything against Goliath. He was completely unmatched. And then you have the physical armor, which everybody thinks is, you absolutely need it, it's absolutely necessary. He put that aside and said, no, I can do without it, because I know that God's going to give me the victory. So the question is, what would you be willing to do for Christ if you knew that you couldn't fail? I'll say it again. What would you be willing to do for Christ if you knew you could not fail? 
it's really in if if God has it in your life to do great things, which he does for all of us, and it's in his will, and we follow and obey him, that we're, we can do completely amazing things, things we never thought that were possible. Just look at David, just look at Hananiah and... And uh, let me get the names quick. Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah as well just did completely amazing things. And it's not it's not with it's not within the realm of or it's not impossible for us to not do it or to not be able to do things like that as well. This is Old Testament times. This is way back in the past, but we have it's the same God, which is amazing. So in closing. I, uh, I have three points. So the first is to trust in, trust in Christ alone as your Savior, which is all about the salvation the salvation message, as it says in Ephesians two. Earlier in the chapter, Ephesians two eight nine, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it, oh man, it's just a it's just a great it's just a great gift from God, and there's not there's nothing we can do to earn it, but it's. It's all through him. So if you, come to, if you come to faith alone in Christ, that is, that's the first step in being able to wear the whole armor of God and being able to serve and honor and glorify him. And we need to, and, it, and then it doesn't stop there. We need to use the tools he has given us. We need, to, um, we need to use our salvation to honor and glorify him, to, pray, to, praise, or, yeah, to praise him, and to... Show show our faithfulness to show our to show all those tools that He has used us or given us to use. Let's turn to our Revelation twenty one quick. This will be the last passage of the night. So Revelation twenty one. We'll start reading in verse four. It says. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is in the second death. So this this really talks about our future, and we have so much to look forward to in eternity, and it's amazing. And we should be we should be excited to share what our future is with others and being like, hey, this can be your future too. But it also talks about the future of those who don't believe in Christ as their Savior, how it's, how it's just everlasting torture, how pastor said, it's just tiny spaces, how you can't get around, how it's not a party down there in hell, how it's just a place that you do not want to be at. And then the third point is stand for Christ no matter what. It says, it says that we're given the whole armor of God to be able to stand and to take a stand for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the message, Lord. We thank you for your word, how it has so much truth in it, and how 
you give us your word to just as a just as a way to show how show how much you love us lord we thank you for for your gift of salvation lord and then we thank you for all the blessings that you give to us following that and how we have ample opportunity to serve and honor and glorify you and we thank you for our future in heaven with you lord how it's eternity we're talking about and how it's so important to spread your word. We just pray for communion coming up, Lord. We just pray that our hearts would be right. In Jesus' name, amen.